I am delighted to have a very special guest on the line. For more than 45 years, San Francisco's Kronos Quartet has been breaking down musical genre barriers and combining a real spirit of fearless exploration with continually reimagined the string quartet experience. And this legendary ensemble is made up of violinists David Harrington and John Sherba, violist Hank Dutt, and cellist Sunny Yang. And I am so excited to have founder and violinist David Harrington join us here on KGNU. Hi, and thank you so much for taking the time out. Hi, it's great to be with you. So I'm not even really sure where to start with y'all. I mean, like your previous two recordings, were one was works by composer Terry Riley with space sounds from NASA, and then most recently a celebration of folk legend Pete Seeger. Maybe let's just start there, because that contrast also really just encapsulates what you all do as a whole. If, if you don't mind telling us a little bit about your most recent couple of albums. Well, sure. And I can tell you about the next one, too, oh, yes, <laughs> which please. is about the uh, how... Hugh Thompson stopped the My Lai Massacre during the American War in Vietnam. But getting back to uh, Terry Riley and Sun Rings, that began many years ago when we got a call from the arts program director at NASA. Would Kronos be interested in using some of the sounds recorded on the Voyager expedition? And I, for one, didn't know there were any sounds out there. And I thought, yes, I got to hear this right away. And uh-huh. And as soon as I heard those, quote, sounds, one person came to my mind, and that was our very good friend, Terry Riley. And eventually, Terry wrote his amazing piece called Sunrings that used some of those sounds and to make a real, basically a portrait of, I would say, our experience of the world here, mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of using as though, you know, you were way far away looking at this precious place we have. And then regarding long time passing, well, I for one grew up hearing Pete Seeger at home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I had kids, we played Pete Seeger for my kids. When we had grandkids, we played Pete Seeger for them. And now that my daughter teaches third grade and has for 20 years, she plays Pete Seeger in her classroom. And it was in her classroom that the idea got started. We were playing We Shall Overcome for two classes of third grade kids, and they were singing with us. And one of the teachers said to me, tomorrow is going to be Pete Seeger's 99th birthday. Mm -hmm. I thought to myself, well, that means the next year he's going to be 100. (laughs) I love this man. I love what he did for our music and what he brought to the civil rights movement and performance in general. So anyway, that began our exploration of his work, and slowly we put together an album, and it came out, let's see, it was in the fall of 2020. Which probably brought a lot of comfort to people during a really strange time. Well, yes. And as a matter of fact, one of the tracks that's on that album is called The President Sang Amazing Grace. Mm -hmm. And I heard that track or that song, rather, at a, uh, well, it was a celebration of original civil rights leaders, the the remaining few. And at that celebration, Joan Baez sang Zoe Mulford's song, The President's Amazing Grace. And I knew right then, instantly, if Seeger were alive, he'd be singing that song. I know he would. And I wanted something that, that had just been written, and that was perfect. And so that ended up as part of that album. 
Wow. So I guess the first question is you're on tour and it brings you through the front range. You'll you'll be at DU's Newman Center for the Performing Arts on January 12th and then at Mackey Auditorium in Boulder on January 13th. What can we expect on the program? You've got new work coming up and, and honestly, your repertoire is so versatile that someone says, hey, Kronos are playing. That could mean so many different things. <laughs> well, First of all, and we're bringing to Denver a selection of music from our 50 for the Future project. Mm-hmm. And 50 for the Future is it's our offering to other quartets, the next generation of quartets, future generation mm-hmm. of string quartets worldwide, some of the results of our explorations of the world of music. And so we've commissioned 50 composers mm-hmm. from many different backgrounds, countries, languages, religions, you name it. And we've tried to give a little mosaic of possibilities for ourselves, but then also for other groups. And so we're playing, let's see, we're playing five pieces by Jalen, Nicole Lise, Aruna Narayan, Sky Mackley, and Penny Condorini. So you hear music from the United States, Canada, India, and Indonesia. Wow. <laughs> and so the musical colors and fabrics are just, uh, for me, it's just wonderful. I can't wait to play all of those pieces together. Then after intermission, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I should say that if you go onto our website and just check out 50 for the Future for anybody that wants to play our music, you can download the scores and the parts for free. Oh, wow. You can stream our recordings. Uh, you know, it's. I think it's a really good way to become more familiar with possibilities in music. That is such a gift from the people who listen to the people who perform to the people who learn these new pieces. Yeah, and, we, and we'll be, you know, coaching some groups while we're in Denver and also in Boulder that awesome. are playing our 50 for the Future pieces. And it's, it's become a really important part of our touring is the contact that we get to have with young players. It's really invigorating and great for us. That actually brings up something. I have to admit, we've actually met super briefly before. A couple of years back, we were all trapped on what turned out to be a really delayed flight to Albuquerque. Um, struck up a conversation with, with Sunny Yang. She had this sticker on her cello case from this awesome coffee shop in Vermont. My partner was traveling with me had the same sticker on his backpack. And we were like, blah, blah, blah. And I, I bring <laughs> this up not to just like be a total fangirl, although really also that too. But really just that I was completely struck by how you were so patient with the touring life and you know speaking to folks who've been in your workshops and just so nice to be stuck in a flight with, with folks who have such a great attitude, getting back on the road during breaks in the pandemic, because you've been on the road more often than not. Like, how is that? What are you finding that you miss the most? Or, or maybe you didn't miss it all? Or how's coming back to life feeling? Well, we did a three-week tour a few weeks ago. And, you know, one thing happens if you do this kind of thing for 48 years, mm-hmm. <laughs> like I've been doing, uh, you kind of, you find a way to pace yourself and, and deal with the situations that come up in traveling and yeah. airports and stuff. And it felt like a new experience. And in that sense, it was fun. Uh-huh. It was also kind of alarming. I mean, the, you know, the, the issues that all of us as musicians go through to bring music to <laughs> the people. <laughs> Sometimes it's, it, it, well, let me put it this way. The airport in Austin at six o'clock in the morning on our way home was nuts. Yeah. It was absolutely nuts. 
And I wasn't quite ready for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I was out of practice. Let me put that way. I was out of practice. Yeah, getting back to uh, the show in Denver, I mean, the second half has to be one of my favorites that we've ever put together. And it's taken, I think it's taken all of these years to be able to do it, actually. And uh, uh-huh. so we're going to end with a piece called Peace Be Kill. And Martin Luther King's speechwriter, lawyer, friend, tells the story in this piece of how the I Have a Dream speech became the I Have a Dream speech. And it was really a musician and his close friend, Mm. the great singer Mahalia Jackson. When Martin Luther King was questioning things or when he was very distraught, he would call up Mahalia Jackson and ask her to sing for him. And so it was Mahalia that on the day of that speech, she had just sung, audience of a quarter million people. And she was on the rostrum. And then he got up and began to speak. And at a certain point, she realized she wasn't quite hearing what she needed to hear. And musicians tend to do this. And (laughs) that's why we're feared in some circles. (laughs) You know, we use our ears. Mm -hmm. And uh, anyway, so Mahalia called out to him, Martin, tell him about your dream. Tell him about your dream, Martin. Wow. And it was at that point that the speech kind of took off. Mm-hmm. And he didn't look down again and uh, became the speech. And that's your and closing. That's our closing. Wow. And right before that piece, you will hear Stacey Garrett, who's a composer from Chicago, made a wonderful piece for us using the voices of uh, Studs Terkel, the great oh. radio announcer, uh-huh. and his friend Mahalia Jackson. And in that piece... Kronos gets to play with Mahalia. So the way we go into the story of Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech mm-hmm. is we're playing a song with Mahalia Jackson. Anyway, I'm, I, I, I'm getting <laughs> chills thinking about this. Yeah, it, it's. It, I think you could say that Kronos is the only quartet that has played uh, with Mahalia Jackson. I'm pretty confident that that is the case. Mm-hmm, anyway, you'll get to hear that. And before that, then there's a campaign song of Michael Gordon. Uh, Michael wrote seven songs leading up to our last national election. Mm-hmm. And America the Beautiful is the one we're going to play. Oh, wow. Before that is Strange Fruit, inspired by Billie Holiday. Uh-huh. Before that is John Coltrane's Alabama that was written after the four little girls were killed mm-hmm. in Birmingham, Alabama in 1963. Mm-hmm. Before that is God Shall Wipe All Tears Away wow. uh, from Mahalia Jackson's first album. And then we're opening the second half with The House of the Rising Sun, inspired by the Everly Brothers. Wow. So that's reverse <laughs> order of, of our set. This is a doozy. <laughs> Um, it's a very activist program. And for folks who, who might not know, you started the quartet in 1973 as a response to hearing George Crumb's Black Angels, which was written in response to Vietnam War. And, and fast forward to today and, and where we're at. I mean, if you could have a conversation with you today in 1973, you keeping in mind you know, all this musical history, where would that conversation even start? Oh, well, it would start with how much there is to do and how many possibilities there are. Yeah. Uh, the world of music is so vast and wonderful and exciting. And I would say that it's even more that way now than it was in 1970s. 
1972. Mm -hmm. Although I, I will only have in my lifetime the experience of hearing black angels on the radio in the dark <sighs> once <laughs> for the for the very first time. True. <laughs> and that totally changed my my idea of what it could be to be a musician uh -huh. and to be a young American trying to figure things out, trying to find the right music to play. Yeah. Uh, but there it was. It was just so apparent. I really didn't have a choice. And that's the kind of music I like and I want to bring into our work is mm -hmm. the, the kind of music that, you know, you get to hear once in a while and you don't have any choice. You, you want to hear it more. Mm -hmm. you, you, it's so vibrant and so fabulous. And that's what I want to play for our audiences. And that work has just opened up so many doors. I mean, the quartets worked with everybody from Laurie Anderson to Asha Bosley to Big Bird, right? And maybe it's an unfair question. I hope it's not an unfair question. Do you have any favorites or, or highlights? Um, I have so many favorites that we'd be here all night talking. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, uh, I'm very happy with the work that we get to do. Most things we haven't done yet. <laughs> so, like I said, there's lots to do. <laughs> We're all delighted to hear you say that there's lots left to do because that means we get to reap the rewards. I guess I've just got one more question. We are so delighted to have you back in our neck of the woods. And um, for those folks in, in what we call the KGN universe who will be in the audiences, is there anything you'd like them to know walking into this concert? Um, you know, it's a good idea to get a good night's sleep before <laughs> <laughs> you go to a concert. It's uh, what I'm hoping is that we can create a situation where not only the members of Kronos, but members of the audience will feel more activated and more capable of amassing the energy to solve some of the amazingly difficult problems we all have right now. And I think music can do that. I know that it's, it's done that for me various times, and I've talked to others that where music has kind of stepped in and really been important. And um, I know everybody in Kronos, uh, Sonny and Hank and John and I, we all feel privileged to be able to play music for our audience. And we're really looking forward to coming to uh, Denver and to Boulder. And we are just ecstatic that you are headed into our neck of the woods. We have been speaking with David Harrington, founder and violinist of the Kronos Quartet, in advance of their performances January 12th at DU's Newman Center for the Performing Arts and January 13th at Mackey Auditorium. Again, thank you so much for joining us and, and safe travels for you and the rest of the quartet as you keep up with your tour. Thank you. My pleasure. Nice to talk to you.